0: I don't think I'm on. Well, it's plugged in. There we go. Now we got it. Tonight I want to finish the study on the book of Nehemiah. We've had a great time in this good book. And uh, so if you have your worksheet, I want to deal with how to take problems by the throat. And this will be the concluding message or lesson on this book, Nehemiah. Hansford just uh, rejoicing that it's over, he said, as he went by. (laughs) Hansford, wake up now and get this one tonight, because I know you... Let me tell you about what I want to begin next Sunday night so that you might, well after, after next Sunday night, I want to begin a series of messages on the basic New Testament beliefs of uh, the Christian, of the Christian church, of, of what, we, what we hold as the doctrines of the faith. And um, we'll be working on a worksheet, and it might be helpful to you, and you might have friends that you could bring. We'll be talking about what is really biblical inerrancy, we'll be talking about the deity of Christ, about the virgin birth, about baptism, about some of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. That's two weeks from this Sunday night, we'll be starting that series of about ten sermons and um spread that word around you know um there is there are all kinds of uh uh, groups that are that exist today and as a matter of fact somebody was telling me about a cult that's in town now that is just really diligent in its effort to to uh, win the young mind and Part of the problem is we don't really know what we believe, and we haven't really taught uh, what we believe to our, to our young people, and so you might want to come and be a part of that. Taking problems by the throat is found in Nehemiah chapter 13, and if you're here for the first time on Sunday night, we just kind of do a verse-by-verse uh, uh, verse study. Uh, we've been doing a verse-by-verse verse study of this book. And this is a last sermon in a series of uh, 13, I believe it is. I hope you haven't grown weary, that you hate to see it end. I do. It's been a rich study for me. Beethoven was playing the violin at the age of five years, under the tutelage of his father. By the time he was 13, he was a concert organist. And in his twenties, by the time he was twenty, he was learning under the great masters Haydn and Mozart. As a matter of fact, Mozart said of uh, Beethoven, this man is destined to give our world something worth listening to by the time he ends his life. Beethoven wrote nine symphonies and five concertos for the piano. Sonatas and pieces for the violin and piano. But lurking in the silence of his own life was a growing tragedy. For by the time he was in his early 20s, he was losing his hearing. He was getting deaf. One day he said, my fingers are thick and I cannot play because of the difficulty of his hearing. When he was in his fifties, he was stone deaf. Not very many people knew it, just the quacks that he frequented and a few doctors that he went to. Three, year, three years after, he was totally deaf. He tried in vain, he made a tragic attempt to lead an orchestra, knowing unknown to them that he was deaf. And five years later, he died in a violent thunderstorm. One day someone listening to Ludwig von Beethoven play the piano heard him, in his frustration, slam his hands down on the keyboard and cry, I'm going to take life by the throat. And his biographer said that the... The determination of this man to keep on going on in the midst of this growing tragedy was what kept him going on. Now I know tonight, when I talk about taking problems by the throat, I know that I'm speaking to some people who have had so many problems in life, personal tragedies that I have never experienced. And I want to commend you, and I stand... In awe and respect of you, and I want you to know that I feel that what I'm about to do is somewhat presumptuous because you know more so much more about how to handle life than I do. and I want to recognize that and admit that and confess that in the beginning. Some of you have a strength and determination that just keeps you going on in the midst of tremendous barriers and and, and tragedies, personal heartache and problems that I've never experienced in my life. But I want to try tonight to talk about how to take problems, how to take life by the throat and handle problems. And I want to apply this phrase to the Christian community and I want to deal not so much with the physical infirmities that may come in life, the, the physical trouble and problems that may exist, But I want to apply this to some of the wrong areas that exist in our life that we tolerate and really never take by the throat. I want to apply it to those areas of wrong that we tolerate and never really deal with. And I want us to see how to take these things by the throat and handle them. The main character of this message tonight is not Beethoven but Nehemiah. And I want to give a little bit of history about, uh, before I begin in chapter 13, as you remember, Nehemiah was just kind of uh, on leave from Persia, where he was cupbearer to the king, and he came back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to uh, supervise that reconstruction of the city, and he was made governor there. Well... Nehemiah left from the city and his responsibility and he went back chapter 13 tells us and he went back over to Persia for a while and while the cat was was away the mice did play and when he came back to the city of Jerusalem the city he had left where the reconstruction project was going on he found things in terrible disarray he found four problems that confronted him Four areas of wrong that he began to take by the throat. And I want us to look at those beginning at verse 4. The first problem I want to call the problem of a compromising companionship. It was the problem of a, com- of a compromising companionship. Read with me verse 4. Now prior to this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related, that is closely associated to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, the tithes of grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of the Lord. And it was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order and they cleansed the rooms and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Now, Eliashib was the high priest in the temple and he was in charge of the vessels and the rooms of the house of God. Tobiah we have already met. He was that man we found over in the very beginning who was this unbeliever and this thorn in the flesh in the life of Nehemiah. He was a barrier to the work of God. We've already met him. And because of his relationship with Tobiah, with Eliashib, mm-hmm. he just brought him back and prepared a room for him in the temple. In fact, he took out the things that belonged to God there and made room for this unbeliever. And when Nehemiah came back, he found the problem of this compromising companionship. Now, what did he do with it? How did he take it by the throat and how did he handle it? It's interesting to me that in verse 8 he says, that he was displeased with what he saw. It's interesting that he he gave the attitude toward the evil before he gave the action against it. And it seems to me that the action we take toward the things that are wrong are always determined by our attitude toward them. There are a lot of things that we have just learned to tolerate and to live with there are some things that we have just gotten used to that are basically wrong and out of place. I used to um, go to the Saturday afternoon matinee when you are raised in Monday, Texas. By the way, Sarah Weddington was in town, this uh, special assistant to the uh, President of the United States, and I want you to know she's from Monday, Texas. Now, she denied that, you know, when... Uh, but, uh, but she really is, and, uh, and, and, and my wife and I grew up with her there. Now, there's some good things that come out of Monday. Well, when you're in Monday, Texas, about all you've got to do is go to the movie on Saturday afternoon. Have you ever gone into the, into the movie out of the light, into the dark, and for a little while, you, you, you know, it's difficult to see anything? You just kind of stumble around. There's a guy there, if you're lucky, with a flashlight to help you find your seat. After a while, you kind of get used to the dark and you can see well. But you've got to get used to it at first. Some of us have just gotten used to some things that are basically out of place in our life. And there are some of us that have gotten used to some things that are just not of the Lord that are very much a part of every day in our work and in our home and even in our church. And the problem is we don't have the right kind of attitude toward these things. He was displeased with them. I tried to communicate this morning that what our nation needs and what our church needs What our world needs are people that are willing to have a critical eye toward the things that are basically wrong and have the courage to stand up against those things and say a word against them. Now, this is what Nehemiah did. He threw them out. To have Tobiah in the house of God was about like having a possum in the chicken house. I mean, it's about like having a snake. In the the sleeping bag with you. There's no place for it. And so he just threw those things out. And then he got some fumigation and he cleansed the place. He fumigated it. For he didn't even want a smell of Tobiah left in the place of God. You know what I'm seeing there? Nehemiah was determined he was not going to live with wrong in a place that was made for right. I want to talk to some of you young people tonight at this point. Listen up to me. You got your ears on? There's some things right now while you're young you need to throw out of your life and get rid of once and for all. And in the place where those things have been, you just need to give a good fumigation and a good cleansing. And in the place where they have been, you need to supply and replace with the positive good things, pure and holy things. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? There needs to be just a good general house cleaning for some of us. For there's some of our some things in our life that just don't belong there. This body and this house of the spirit of God and this place where the spirit of God lives was made only for the right. And there are things there that just need to just need to be taken out and done away with. And that's what Nehemiah did. There's a second problem, and I call it. A financial fiasco, the problem of a financial fiasco. Look at verse 10. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. Now, he's talking about their, their, their salary. So that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. Now, that doesn't say anything to you, but this is what that means. The Levites and the people who were to, to, to work in the house of the Lord were to be supplied with the financial resources so they could live there, at the house of God and do their work and the money wasn't coming in. So they had to go out and take a part-time job at McDonald's or busting flats down at Union 76. I mean I mean not literally, but uh, in our maybe in our vernacular. And Nehemiah heard it he says, So I reprimanded the officials and said, listen, why is the house of God forsaken? Now watch this. When you don't give your financial support to the house of God, you may come every Sunday, but you have forsaken it. I need to say that again. If you don't give your financial support to the house of God, you can sit in a pew every Sunday, but you have forsaken it. He says, Why has the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts to the Levites. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse, etc. Now jump down to verse 14 remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services, a financial fiasco. The Levites were not being supported so they had to go and live in the suburbs. Now what did uh, what did Nehemiah do to deal with the problem? He said I reprimanded them. Now the word means in the Hebrew, the word literally means, to raise the voice, it means to strive with somebody. It means he got mad about it. Now, it seems to me that, that the people of God are the ones who need to support the work of God. And some of us need to take a good, long, prayerful look at our giving. Let me say parenthetically, you know, sometimes it's awful tempting not to support the work of God if we don't like what's going on down at the church. And I, uh, you know, I just won't give. I don't like what's going on down there. don't like the preacher. don't like the work that's going on. I just won't give. You know, I was reading one day where Jesus came into the synagogue, and there wasn't a place on earth that was any more corrupt than the synagogue in Jesus' day. And there wasn't any place on earth that had it in for him any more than the synagogue. Those folks wanted to kill him. And Jesus stood up in the midst of the synagogue and said, paraphrase, This is God's house. You folks need to support it. There's a third problem that he took by the throat. It's what I call the secularized Sabbath, beginning at verse 15. Verse 15 says, In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, all kinds of loads. They, They had secularized the Sabbath. Would you flip back to chapter 10, verse 31? You remember that covenant these people signed? Look at verse 31 of chapter 10. This is the covenant. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath to sell, we'll not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt in other words back in chapter 10 they promised they would never do what they were doing in chapter 13. they had secularized the sabbath now nehemiah got pretty angry about that also it's pretty good it's all right to get angry if you get angry about the right things i you know i have never ever corrected any wrong in my life that i didn't get angry about first have you and he got angry about that they had secularized the sabbath and in verse 21 he said don't you folks come back here on the sabbath because we're not going to do business with you this day belongs to god and suggest to me that sometime or another a person has to make up his mind what he's going to do with the Lord's Day, and let that be a final decision. If a guy waits until Saturday night or Sunday morning to decide what he's going to do on the Lord's Day, I promise you he'll not do much for the Lord. That has to be a decision that is made once and for all. And everybody involved in your world needs to know about that decision you've made. Don't come around on Saturday night want me to go fishing with you on Sunday morning because that day belongs to God. Everybody in your world needs to know that this day is God's day in your life. And that's a decision we just have to make and make it final. Um, Problem of secularized Sabbath. I don't, uh, you know, I know that you can get go overboard with what you do on Sunday. But the problem I'm finding, and I think you are too, is not that we're going overboard on Sunday. The problem we're not going far enough about Sunday. Then there's verse 23, the problem of a, of a domestic disobedience. Verse 23, In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab as for their children had spoken the language of Ashdod and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah but the language of his own people so I contended with them look at this and cursed them you think your preacher gets you know you think he does bad he said I cursed them and I struck some of them and it says, and I pulled out their hair. Now, I wanted, I wanted that to say something. And I said, now, that couldn't be that that's what he said there. So I looked in my uh, Hebrew lexicon, and I looked in my commentaries, and about the only other thing that it says is that he made them bald. And, I, and it's just no, whatever, however you slice it, that's what he did. Now, what Nehemiah is suggesting, watch this is that the Jews were to maintain some stability in the marriage and in the home. And it's a serious problem. Now, why was he so uptight about the instability in marriage and in the home? Well, you you don't have to read far to find the answer. Because of the children. Now, why was he so concerned that the Jews maintained some, maintain some kind of stability in marriage and in the home? For the children's sake. Because the children weren't even able to speak the language they, because of the intermarriage. For God's sake, if for no other reason than for your children begin to develop some kind of stability in your marriage, if for no other reason than for the kids. I've had people say to me, well, the only reason we're staying married is because of the children. Well, brother, that's a pretty good reason to stay married. And it's a pretty good reason to work on that marriage. And it's a pretty good reason to be a part of everything, even a 6 o'clock on Friday morning study. It's a pretty good reason to involve yourself in the things that will help your marriage and your home. I don't know whether we can save the family or not, but we better begin to try to do it. And he said it was so important to me. I got so mad, I pulled their hair out. You know what that says? It says that he got so indignant against the wrong that he lost himself in the right. God give us more people like that. We're afraid we're going to hurt somebody feelings. So, you know, talking about pulling hair. why I wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. Can you imagine going to a surgeon and he says to you after X-ray, you know, you've got a massive tumor right in the right in your stomach here, and that's a deadly thing, and it needs to be removed, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna operate on you because it'll hurt, and I don't want to bring any discomfort, and I don't want to hurt. So well, I'm not going to put the knife to you. Can you imagine, surgeon, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't give 10 cents for a surgeon like that. If somebody comes up to you and says those things that really hurt, I mean really hurt, but they're the God-honest truth, you need to thank him for it. And Nehemiah said, you folks need to straighten up your act in your home for your children's sake. Now, that hurts to hear that but it may be the salvation as it was to be. Now the analysis. Follow this and we'll quit. The analysis of the solution. Now whatever the problem, this is the analysis of how to take it by the throat. Number one, you face the problem head on. Now what is the problem you're dealing with in your life? For the old fellow that staggered down his aisle this morning and came down here to this altar, the best place in the world for him to be, he's facing a terrible problem. I don't, I don't know anything about that. But the way to deal with those type things is to face it head on. you got a problem in your life, face it head on. Number two. He dealt with the problem severely. Did you notice that? He dealt with it severely. He not only confronted it head on, but he was rough in the dealing with the problem. He dealt with it severely. Anything that disrupts man's walk with God should be dealt with severely. Number three, he worked toward a permanent solution. I mean, he didn't just put Band-Aid over the wound. He worked toward a permanent solution. I mean, he, the problem with Tobias, he threw him out and fumigated the, the situation. The problem with the financial fiasco, he set up a way to take care of that, that money business and that giving, et cetera, et cetera, He dealt with it in a permanent, a, a permanent solution. Fourth. He always followed it up with prayer. Now, I failed to mention that when I went through there, but you notice that after dealing with the problem every time, he prayed about it. Now, I know there's some things that can only be taken care of by prayer, but where there's disobedience to God, it's not time for prayer, it's time for obedience. And you follow it up with prayer. Now, the application of the problems in our day, if there's a problem of sin in your life, there needs to be an honest observation about it. There needs to be an honest, an honest observation of that sin. Do you have a sin problem? Secondly, the honest observation, must be matched with a fearless conviction. The honest observation must be matched with a fearless conviction. Somebody was just talking to me this week about a problem they had in their life. And they said, you know, I've made my commitment to God, and regardless of what it takes, what it costs, what's involved, I'm gonna fall after fearless conviction. And the honest observation and the fearless conviction must be tempered with a deep devotion. And that's where the moral majority and the fundamentalists divide between some of us is that there has to be some deep devotion and patience and understanding at the same time. Tomorrow we're going to have our invitation to him. I'm just going to ask you tonight to state head on the problem that exists in your life. Young people, are there things in your life that need to be cleaned out? You know what I'm talking about. Adult. How about your commitment and your devotion to God and his work? Folk? How are you getting along at home? In a minute, we're going to give an invitation. There'll be the opportunity for you to come and place your life here on of letters. You might want to come rededicating your life. You might want to come tonight to say, my problem is the problem of unbelief. I've rejected Christ. I'm lost, separated from God. And I want to meet, confess and admit it. And I want to meet it head on. And I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me. I can't save myself. After we've had a moment of prayer, Jim will come and lead us. We'll sing a song that we all know and will give you the opportunity to respond publicly. Father, I pray that in this moment of decision that we'll decide to do those things that you decided for us to do. And God, there's so many things in our life that, that are wrong where right ought to be. There's so many basic discrepancies in our doctrine and our practice. So many things, Father, we need to bring and lay at your feet tonight. We couldn't even begin to count. God, expose to us, reveal to us your decision for us, your will for us tonight. And I pray that your will be perfectly done in this moment that remains with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Now we're going to stand to sing. We invite you to come, would you?